I'm your host, Thomas, data scientist, data engineer, and you're listening Let's Talk AI. On this podcast, we receive experts to talk about their experience, visions, challenges, with no fear to go into technical details. If you're looking to learn more about AI and related subjects, you're at the right place, so make yourself comfortable and enjoy. If you like this episode, please give us a review on your favorite streaming platform, such as Spotify or Apple Podcast. You can also find more content on my LinkedIn newsletter. Welcome, everyone, in this new episode of Let's Talk AI. Today, I'm very happy to be with uh, Joe Reese. Could you describe yourself in a few sentences? Yeah, recovering data scientist, data engineer, data architect, um, co-author of Fundamentals of Data Engineering, uh, podcaster. Um, <laughs> I can probably keep going on, but I'll shut up. So. <laughs> the, the name of your show, the name of your podcast uh, is The Morning Talk, or what was the name? Yeah, it's a Monday morning data chat, which is, um, I, I guess if you're in Europe, it's Monday afternoon. So, uh, <laughs> And oh well. so what, what do you talk about in this podcast? Yeah, the podcast is, it's very open-ended. It's unscripted. Um, I mean, the whole goal is to talk to people that I think are just fun to talk to in, in the data industry, frankly. Um, and mm. it, it's definitely, there's not really a set type of person or, you know, or background. It, it tends to vary quite a bit. Um, we have everyone from people who do, you know, data management to taxonomies to, you know, venture capital to, mm. um, geez, basically everybody. So it's, a, it's wow. but you know, the, the cool thing is it's become kind of a, an institution in some ways we stream it live on LinkedIn and YouTube and definitely got a, you know, a lot of people showing up every week to listen to us talk, so it's fun. That's awesome. There are so many things I would like to to ask you. Start asking questions because you. So you write a book, you have a podcast. Uh, you're doing so many things, as we can see on the video. If the people are listening to us, uh, you also have um, your whole set of uh, music production and, and DJing behind of you. It's it's pretty uh, nice, yeah. So, <laughs> so maybe I would like to to ask you a first question that is very general. And, and then I would like to be maybe more technical, uh, ask about your experience. But um, how do you combine everything that you like in your life? Well, that's a great question because I do a lot of other stuff too. Like uh, this morning I was rock climbing at the, uh, or bouldering at the, uh, the climbing gym and, awesome. um, you know, and uh, you know, try and get out and trail around and hike around in Salt Lake City where I am and, you know, and do stuff with my kids and, bunch of other stuff. So yeah, there, there's a lot going on, but I, I don't know. I think I've just arranged my life where I just, I, all the things I want to do are things I want to do. And a lot of things I don't want to do, I, I don't need to do them. So it's, 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 <laughs> that it's a good balance. That sounds super easy. But like, it, did you, um, <laughs> did you were at a point where you like had goals on the, on the list, like life goals, like things that you really value and, and through the years you, you find some balance and, and, and find a, a way to do all those things like was it very hard to achieve uh, doing all those projects and parallelize all those different things that one can think how do you do so many things but in the end you manage to do all of them and being successful in all of those tasks I, I don't think it's so much goals like I really don't have that many goals it's kind of a weird thing to say because um, mm -hmm. from the outside in it would seem like I have you know a lot of goals and, and, and there, there are a handful of them but it's more like I think um, I think over time, if you just keep setting habits, um, that kind of leads you to where you want to go. And, and I think more importantly, leads you to what you, uh, you know, leads you away from what you don't want to do. That that's, mm. I think is more important. Mm. Um, cause what I notice is the, the, what keeps people from, from achieving a lot of their goals, isn't so much a, a lack of persistence. It's all the things that 
um, usually get in their way. And, and these things are, um, the things that get in your way are typically of your own doing, right? Like you, um, you know, it just everyone, everyone's got their own thing going on, but, uh, you know, there, there's, there's a lot of things that, you know, just, you know, you shouldn't be doing. And so, you know, if, if you need to get rid of them, then, then you probably should. So, mm. yeah. yeah, like maybe sometimes people try to do very good at everything, but they would need to focus more on just the things that are very important. Like, like there is this book, like the one thing and you just need yeah. to focus on the top priority thing. And if it's second, then just just do the first one every time in the morning it's about prioritizing yeah and i think like warren buffett has this notion of a um, avoid at all cost lists uh which is i guess that as the story goes he was um talking to his uh pilot um of his plane and uh you know kind of asked him you know you fly me around a lot and you know i'm curious what, what you know what are your goals what do you want to do you know and, and uh I don't know this guy, whether this guy knew or not, but anyway, Warren just said, why don't you just list out like, you know, the top 25 things you want to accomplish in life and uh, prioritize them. And then, um, you know, basically anything that's below number five, just cross it out and avoid it at all costs and really focus on the the top things that you, you know, you want to be doing. And, hmm. and so, you know, that's, I think it's a good, good litmus test because it's, it's the power of saying no to things too, that it's, um, allows you to, to say yes to a lot of things. And I think for me, it's, it's, I've, been able to say I, I've gotten better at saying no I would say to a lot of things that I just know are like waste of time and and so even though it seems like I have a lot of things going on that a lot of these are you know the, the things I intend to to really want to do and, and do them really well and so that's that's a big difference what I see a lot of times is people want to jump into stuff and um, um, but I don't know what the you know maybe they don't have the right motivations for it or maybe that you know they don't have their why so to mm. speak and so you know but mm. And so what usually happens is they just kind of spin their wheels, right? Like I see this a lot and, you know, we can talk more about this in a bit, like people getting into data. Like I, I think, you know, there's, you can make a lot of money in this field for sure. And there's, you know, it's, it's good work, but I think you really got to like it and, you know, then, you know, what, know what you want to get out of the experience too. And, mm. and just, um, you know, have, I have a really strong, uh, you know, reason for doing this. Cause there's a, there's a lot of other options in this world, right? I mean, there's yeah. basically countless options of things you could be doing and like DJing, for example. Like DJing, you could you could do that, and I, I did that for a while. I mean, you, you have a musical background too. It sounds like, and so, you know, and um, and it's fun, but you know, it's, yeah. it's, so I think you just pick the things that have always been a part of you too, and and um, you know, and if you like them, then keep them around. So yeah, you, you talk about finding your why. I feel that uh, this was very, um, this is very something that uh, I really. Sorry, I got a cold right now too. So <laughs> no problem. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. <laughs> <laughs> no 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 but i feel like you, you talked about like finding the why and like having this to the list and saying being able to say no i feel like a, a lot of us get caught up by not being able to say no and like if you're not able to say no at some point you will lose so many opportunities uh this is just a, my point of view from what i've heard because i uh, i don't feel like i have um yet enough of experience to talk about maybe you could you can confirm I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you get, as you get older, you get better at saying no to things. I mean, hopefully, I mean, you know, there, I mean, there's, there's, you know, so you got to weigh whether or not, um, you know, what you're saying no to is, um, you know, whether, you know, what, what's the opportunity cost associated with that too? Cause sometimes mm -hmm. maybe there's, there's something, something there that you might be missing too. And so it's a, you know, it's just classic like type one and type two errors and, and, and stuff, but you know, the most precious thing you have is your time. Right. Mm. And so, um, you know, so, I mean, if you could pick out like what, what your perfect day would look like and you could make your life kind of, 
look like that, then I think, I think you've won in life, you know, because it's not about money really. It's to me, it's about really, um, you know, how, how are you able to, um, to spend your time, you know, mm. and use that. Cause that's, that's your most important asset at the end of the day. Mm. So. Uh, I, w- I will, uh, we'll get into like your, your background, professional background and, and, and data in a few seconds, but, um, uh, I have, uh, so there is this typical question of, uh, how does your day look like when, when you mm. do interviews or when you talk to people, I, I would like to ask you this question, like, how does your day look like, but I would also like to ask you. Uh, like the evolution of how you organize your day from when from when you was uh, in in your in your twenties, for example, like how <laughs> did, did it evolve? Maybe it's I don't know, like yeah. a throwback I mean, of how you've managed to change how your day is organized. I mean, I've always gotten up really early, and so I would say that that's always been a constant thing. Is um, you know, I just wake up, I wake up super early. It doesn't seem to matter what happens, you know, um, you know, jet lag doesn't seem to affect it. Um, you know, going out and excessively partying the night before doesn't seem to affect it at all. I just seem to get up super early. And so I think that sets a, sets a good tone though for the rest of the day. So, I mean, you know, I think I've always just made it a habit to focus on, um, you know, uh, there's this old book called like, what was it called? Eat that frog. And, um, it's mm. just about doing the hardest thing in the morning. It's sort of like that yeah. one thing. I mean, a lot of these books just tend to recycle the same things, which is just prioritizing and, and you know, uh, doing hard stuff in the morning and whatever you're most effective. And so I, that's how I've always approached it. Um, you know, I wake up, uh, you know, read for about an hour, um, you know, probably go um, work out or something like that. So, you know, this morning I was just bouldering, uh, you know, which is what I do a few times a week. Uh, you know, so... Yeah. But what else? Um, yeah, it's basically get to nowadays. I'm just basically in full on writing mode right now. Like I've kind of taken a step back from, um, you know, even ternary, my, my business and just focusing on, uh, just writing and, um, you know, working on a new book right now. So, so a lot of my time is spent just researching and, and writing and that's, that's literally about all I do all day. And then I do two shows, but, um, you know, but I, I do treat writing as a, as a job. It's, it's, uh, you know, so there's a structure to it. Um, there's certain expectations I have every day that I need to accomplish and that's, um, that's about it. So, yeah. So that's, uh, yeah, and hang out with my kids obviously. And what else? That's about it. So, mm. so like get the hard thing in the morning, um, read, take some time to read every morning and then you exercise a few times a week. Then you do, um, you do what you need to do. So actually it's writing, but. Uh, I will ask you about your career and and, yeah. and your professional life uh, in a few moments, and then you get some family times, quality times, um, and times yeah. a week you do some shows. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's about it. That's been the routine for awesome. you know the past bit. So yeah, it's it's, it's pretty fun. But so. thanks, thanks for sharing. <laughs> yeah. Um. And so let's dive. Uh, let's dive in your background and in in, in your years of uh, professional life. Uh, how yeah. did you get into data? And, and yes, how did you get into data? I mean, I guess from an early age, like I grew up in the eighties and the nineties uh, and, you know, as a teenager in the uh, mm-hmm. 1990s. And so, um, at that time it was really interesting. I mean, so I'd always been around, uh, you know, computers and, and whatnot, but, um, you know, I had a really, uh, early, um, access to the internet. I'd say I got my internet account, like, I don't know, sometime in the early nineties, I can't quite remember, but what was interesting back then is, you know, it was before the, the web. Right. So it was just uh, the Internet, and, you know, that plus going on to board and board services and stuff. I think it just had an early grasp of, um, 
you know, maybe the possibilities of uh, the online world. Uh, you know, you got to remember at the time that was a foreign concept to a lot of people. A lot of people thought mm-hmm. the internet was going to be a fad and just go away, but I mean, here we are. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you're in Madrid, I'm in Salt Lake City, and we're talking over the internet. So obviously, it, you know, but uh, yeah. So That's I guess like you know, it. then um, you know, for spent a few years just kind of bumming around. Frankly, I was just uh, you know rock climbing and that was about it, you know, working odd jobs, uh, you know, as a um, laborer for quite a while. And, and kind of, in some was ways it kind in of, data engineering or was it uh, in, in a... Oh, no, no, no. I was just, I was just hanging out, man. I mean, in the late 90s, I was just traveling around, just rock climbing. That was about it. So it brought me to Salt Lake City, though, which uh, we'll get into data now because, uh, you know, I decided, um, uh, well, we'll go, we'll go to, we'll go finish my uh, college degree. I, it actually started pretty, pretty young and um, in college and dropped out, but, uh, yeah, I decided to go to university of Utah, uh, you know, studied mathematics. Um, I'd always been interested in getting a job, um, like doing analytics and, um, you know, kind of predictive modeling. And so I was trained to be an actuary and decided, uh, I probably didn't really want to go down that path. And so, you know, got a job. Um, my first job was working at a, you know, a really fast growing company. Um, and what was I doing? I think my first thing that I was, call center analytics. And so, uh, and then that morphed into doing, you know, sales and marketing analytics and uh, which analytics at the time also incorporated, I would say what we would call data science now. It's like a lot of forecasting, a lot of, um, you know, pricing modeling and optimization, um, you know, a lot of just stuff that nowadays I think, you know, you lump into data science, but back then there was no mm-hmm. term for it. You just called you a, you know, I think my term was a numbers guy. And so my, my job was basically, um, you know, I think within three months of working there, I was uh, sitting outside the CEO's um, office because he picked me to basically be his um, right-hand person and um, help him drive the business, uh, you know, through through numbers. And so that's, that was an interesting experience where, you know, revenues had doubled every year and um, it was just being, like being on a rocket ship. So it was, it was interesting too, just because I got to learn how to apply data to, to solving, you know, um, business problems, mm. uh, you know, where it counted. And, you know, back then too, it wasn't one of these things where you had the luxury of kind of like, you know, now oh, we can get into this in a bit too, but I, I actually was writing an article about this where I feel like the last 10 years, um, you know, a lot of data teams have been formed where maybe you're, maybe they aren't really adding any value, but I would say back then, because, you know, you're so attached to the business, like you, you really had like a good feedback loop to, Mm. you know, to figure out if you're, um, you know, providing an ROI on what you're doing or not. So that was pretty mm-hmm. cool. And then, um, you know, kind of carry that forward to a few other companies doing, you know, forecasting and, um, mainly, which is, uh, say the thing I was known for, um, quite a bit. And then say around like, uh, 2011, 2012, started talking to some people about joining a, uh, automated machine learning startup. And, and so, um, you know, at that time, I mean, the, um, you know, machine learning, I think was now becoming a viable thing. you know, you had GPUs and, hmm. um, technology that could enable it back in the day. I mean, I would always had an interest in machine learning and, um, AI, I think more in particular, um, but it just wasn't really viable back in the day. And so, mm-hmm. you know, but, but now it seemed to be in, so, you know, joined that and, uh, that startup. And I think, you know, so the, the basically the whole problem was like, that was supposed to solve is just give us a, any data set and we'll give you predictions on that or you know, classifications and, um, what it made me realize really early on was the algorithms was actually, uh, maybe the easy part. Um, you know, cause back then it was using, a uh, like ensemble learning and, um, you know, 
support vector machines and that kind of stuff. This is, this is before deep learning. So, mm -hmm. uh, but quickly realized too that a lot of the problems were engineering related. So, you know, I'd, I'd built a early on a very um, uh, automated feature engineering um, uh, program. And so it would basically save a lot of our, uh, you know, these math PhDs we'd hired, they would just sit there and for days just going through and feature engineering and figure out how to automate that. And so that was, that was pretty cool to see because that, that made me realize, okay, it's so like a lot of problems around, um, you know, machine learning uh, were actually just engineering problems to, to you know, make it work in production. Same with like hosting models and you know, putting an API behind it and stuff. But you got to remember back then, like there was nothing available. Mm. There, weren't, there weren't packages that would do this. There weren't any best practices. Like you had to figure this out on your own. There wasn't mm -hmm. any rule book. And so, you know, it was very early attempts at make, putting machine learning in production because like I said, there, there was not anything out there. And so, um, you know, from there, you know, worked at, worked at many other startups, uh, doing data stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I would say around 2017, decided just to break out on my own and focus on data engineering. Cause I, you know, over the years, I just realized that data engineering was basically the enabling factor that, um, for data science, like if you didn't have data or, um, you know, a reliable way of getting data, then it's impossible really to do the, um, science upon the data because there's no data. And so, but I, what I also noticed is a lot of, um, you know, especially in the 2010s, you know, mid 2010s, especially data science was super hot. Um, you know, and, and what was interesting to me is I see a lot of these data scientists getting hired at their jobs and they're bored. <laughs> they don't have anything to do because they don't have any data. And so I think it was just, you know, it was definitely um, just, uh, I think a lot of premature hires in data science um, back mm -hmm. then. I mean, there certainly still are now, but back then it was, it was pretty rampant. But a lot of companies, I think, had a, a lot of fear of missing out on on the data wave and the hype cycle, so they had to hire data scientists. And, um, but you know, through all that, I, I realized too, like you know, again, these data scientists need data and they need systems to support them. They they're not trained to do this kind of work, and you know, so yeah, in twenty seventeen, went out on my own and started you know my own solo data engineering consultancy. In twenty eighteen, I met my. Uh, business partner, Matt Housley, also the co-author of Fundamentals of Data Engineering. And, you know, we started Ternary Data and, you know, that was um, just solely focused on data engineering, um, you know, consulting. And so, you know, that's been around for, you know, a few years now and, you know, we have great partnerships with a lot of the biggest, um, you know, tech and data partners out there and you know, have a great list of um, customer successes and so forth. So, so yeah, that's kind of the long and short of it, I, you know. When I got into data engineering, I, um, I, don't, I think that was barely becoming a new title as well, right? So hmm. I think if there's one theme to my career, it's always been sort of just, um, I think doing the things that made sense uh, because they, it was the practical thing to do, maybe not because it was the sexiest thing to do. Hmm. Um, I had a lot of data science friends questioning why I would call myself a recovering data scientist when you know uh, data science was the hottest job in the, in the world. Um, and why I was kind of leaving, you know, data science behind at that time. But mm. I felt that that was the move I needed to make. Um, you know, I, I just kind of had this weird inkling that uh, data, the data science hype cycle was really going to come you know, to a screeching halt because of a lot of the limiting factors on it, which mm. I think that, that proved to be correct in a lot of ways. So mm. that's super interesting. Um, I have, I have. Um... I have so many points I would like to to, to ask you. Uh, a few things that, that you mentioned that, that I kept uh, in mind were um, the fact that you started very early to build 
things in data science and models for business purposes and uh, you were able to um, like use business metrics to value how much uh, how much value does what I'm doing um, add to the business so uh, uh, there is uh, this point I really like uh, then you talk about how you started like data engineering when we didn't have all the tools we have today because today it's like I feel like explain data engineering like playing Legos because oh, yeah. mainly it's just taking pieces and put them together and make sure that it's scalable and that you can you can enhance data and and, and it can match like for example the customers you will need but I I would I might want you to to ask you more about about this like how how did you figure things out um, then then all the all the knowledge you accumulated uh, through the years. Uh, coming to starting your business uh, and writing a book, a book about uh, data engineering, um, or also going against people who are really into data science. Uh, those are topics that I I found super interesting, and, and also the fact that you mentioned that data science, a data scientist is one thing, but it can do anything without data. And today there are a lot of models that are just in libraries and that you can call in a few lines of code. And so a lot of the business problems, uh, there are, mm, okay, th there are a lot of things to, to think about, but the engineering part, like of how combining these models and putting them in productions, maybe there is something I would like to have your opinion on regarding if today data scientists need to be also data engineers or how, how depth should their knowledge be about data engineering when you're a data scientist to be on top of the market and not be like, every other data scientist and being able to think out of the box. Uh, so all those uh, things are main points that, uh, that, um, that uh, I, I got from, from what you were saying. Um, yeah. But I think that, yes? Oh, no. no <laughs> I think that what I would really start to, 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 to ask you about maybe is um, how do you start doing data engineering where no tools exist and how do you gain knowledge and and get your uh, i don't know how it works but get the contracts to to write a book about data engineering how did the process going through this because yeah. it was it is very it is very um not famous at the time where you do it can you take us maybe through well, the process of how it goes I mean, I think I was fortunate that I sort of understood what the outcome should be too, because I was a you know a data scientist and you know had just you know worked on the, as a practitioner for so long in, in data that I, I sort of knew okay, like I know what I, I need, so I just need to work backwards, right? So I just need to apply like proper you know principles of software engineering and and whatever systems that I'm working in, you know, rate the cloud or whatever technologies, um, and so I think having a good understanding of uh, the output really, really helps in that regard. Um, I, I think the opposite where you're, if you're an engineer and you're trying to solve data problems, it's almost harder in some ways because you don't know quite what the output should be or what the outcome should be. Um, and so I think it was very fortunate just to know, okay, I know what I want, you know, so that knowing what you want is like most of the battle really just understanding like the problem you're trying to solve. So then you can kind of just work backwards and like I said, build, build systems that, that support that solving that problem and so you know um yeah but i think your second question had that influence right in the book i mean 
Um, well, I don't know. That's a whole other can of worms we can we can get into about the book. I, I think that that's. Um, that would be very interesting to. Yeah, I mean, the book. The, well, the books. I mean, so there was a really good book that came out um, in 2016, 2017 called "Designing Data Intensive Applications" by Martin Kleppman. I, I still think it's a fantastic book. Um, you know, it was good for the time, especially I think uh, you know, um, data engineering back then and software engineering on distributed systems was a lot more low level. Um, you needed to know a lot of the concepts that underpinned uh, the technologies. I'd say these days, it's, I, I would say a knowledge of distributed systems is maybe a good to know. Uh, you don't need to be an expert in it because a lot of the magic is taken care of for you. And I would say in a lot of uh, you know, off-the-shelf tools, especially in open source packages, it's just it's a lot easier than it used to be. But at the same time, um, what I realized with that book is, okay, so you know, cause I was rereading it. I was like, okay, it's a good book. I feel like there needs to be a, like a prequel to it, like a book that comes before this where it, you know, it, I think the book was actually written for software engineers and just happened to become like the data engineering Bible sort of by, by proxy because there wasn't really much out there. And so I was like, okay, so let's just do a prequel to it. Um, around the same time, you know, a, a publisher had reached out asking me and Matt if we wanted to write a, a book and, you know, and um, we turned that publisher down. We didn't think it was a good fit, but it got us thinking, okay, so maybe we should write a book. And, and so... Approached O'Reilly, um, you know, we had some friends there, and they actually told us not to do the book. They thought it was actually a really bad idea because you're, it was going to be hard as a first-time author. Like, you know, you're trying to write a book that defines a, an entire field, mm. right? Those, those are like the hard books to write. Exactly. Right? An easier and book hard. would be like data engineering with like, you know, a, a, a you know, cloud platform or technology. And so what are we going to ask? Mm. No, I was about to ask, okay, so how do you, because exactly what you said, you, you will explain an entire field so how do you face in terms of framework for example how do you how do you face this task because it's brand new i feel like through your whole career and and in your life in general you've always challenged yourself not waiting for like the market to challenge you but like went ahead and try new things and like go for adventures in that case how did you like why did you have this feeling that you needed to do the book and what framework did you use to achieve it i mean there's certainly been data engineering books that had come up before but they're like you know data engineering on aws or data engineering with spark or whatever right so mm -hmm. and those are great but i think that they have a shelf life um i think the big motivation was okay if you could write a book that didn't have a shelf life or an expiration date or would be relevant in five to ten years from now for the most part right i mean every every book goes stale but um and that was a challenge really that i think we posed to ourselves because if you're going to spend the amount of when you write a book, right, it's like a year of your time or more, a year and a half um, or whatever amount of time. But regardless, it's, it's, it's the same amount of time. And so you, you can choose to spend it on something that's, I would say, the easy book to write or you could spend it on, you know, the, the, the book that's going to be rewarding to you. Maybe the easy book's rewarding to you. I don't know. That's a personal preference, right? But you're going to put in a lot of time. It's a lot of work. And so we figured, okay, so let's just make this one count. Mm. Um, you know, I don't want to spend a year and a half of my life working on something that's you know, I'm going to look back on it and be a bit disappointed at that. So, you know, so if you, if you take a step back with data engineering and understand, okay, so like what's not going to change, right? That's a, sort of the lens that we took, um, you know, so I don't think there's ever going to be a lack of like source systems that, that provide you data. I don't think, you, you know, yeah. you're never going to not store data somewhere. Yeah. You're never going to not like transform it and, you know, ingest it and serve it and all this other stuff. And so th that became like the data engineering life cycle, which was a really big idea. You know, undercutting that too, or, you know, sort of things that, you know, across the life cycle, 
immutables as well, like security, right? There's never a situation where you're not going to want to secure your systems or your data. That would be yes. crazy. Um, you know, data management and architecture and all these other things, um, mm -hmm. you know, we're also undercurrents. And so, you know, just taking a step back, I think, and really understanding, you know, okay, so like what's, you can always focus on what's going to change. That's an easy question, but that's, that's the noisy question that gets um, lost in the shuffle the next day. Right. Um, you know, and, and the answers always change with that kind of stuff. You, you really want to focus on, um, at least for this type of a book, you really want to focus on, again, the immutables. Mm. So. Okay, so this is how you, 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 you frameworked, uh, how you were going to develop the book. And then in the practice, so like you were two authors, right? Yeah. And both of you were data, engineer, <coughs> uh, data engineers. Um, yep. Yep. Mm. And did you like start directly to do the entire plan of the book and then trying to enhance the value in each part? And like, how did you delegate and, and share the job of taking I, all these files and put it into one book? I mean, as when you have a co-author, it's typically no different than, you know, at the end of the day, the, the, the end result is that's your, that's your child that you made together. <laughs> so, mm. you know, I mean, it, it's so... There is a relationship around it, no? Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's uh, writing a book is, I think, a, it's a great experience. It could be a very traumatic experience too. Um, <laughs> so you know, I can dig into that. But I mean, so how it works when you're writing a book is you, you have your book proposal. That you know, your um, publisher needs to accept that, and that's how you, um, that's how you get you know, kind of the idea of the book fleshed out, right? So that 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 um, proposal includes a table of contents, right? And so that's kind of a contract that you have where. You know, by a certain date, you have two chapters written, you know, then by another certain date, like half the book's done and, you know, final manuscript at another date and so forth, right? Then you kind of work backwards there. You have a development editor that they assign to you, at least O'Reilly does. Um, development editor is basically your project manager. So you mm -hmm. make sure you're on track, help you with kind of the overall flow of the chapters in the, the book. And with the understanding that things are going to change too, like your table of contents you come up with is not the, you know, it's not set in stone. Mm. things evolve like we think we had like eight or nine chapters when we started missing balloon to like more than that for sure mm. um but in terms of working with a co-author i would say you know matt and i have just absolutely different writing styles um and ways of working like i tend to be very regimented um in terms of how i write and he's you know so every day i, I have it planned out like this is what i'm gonna write about this is what i'm gonna research etc 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 right um matt <laughs> he, would, he would just wait till the weekend and just like write 30 pages and so just a different way of doing stuff. I would say it was a bit, um, it took a bit of getting used to, I think for both of us, but you know, at the end of the day, we made it work. And, um, you know, at the end of the day, you just know you have to make it work. You can't really back out on this thing. So you're going to have to make it work. Right. Mm. So, but yeah, I, I would say, you know, it, it wasn't without a lot of arguments, not, not without a lot of, um, you know, arguments. So I would say about both the content that we're writing. I mean, a lot of debates, uh, you know, about it. And I would say, um, you know, a lot of arguments just about, you know, delegation and who's doing what but that that's part of the process and you know if you're not arguing that I, I would take that as a sign you probably don't care right and so you know it's, it's so it's a it needs to be a good balance i would say you know i'm a, I'm a very difficult person to work with uh, when it comes to writing books I, I will say that up front i think matt would say the same thing i uh, i don't know just uh, there's certain things where i'm just very particular about how things are going to going to be um and uh yeah <laughs> so I, so, so for my new book, for example, people have asked to uh, people have asked to co-author it, and I, I basically told them it's it's a really bad idea. Um, nobody nobody should co-author with me <laughs> right now. So, so I told them, uh, you know, thanks, but no thanks. So, doing you a favor. 
but do you feel like you will maybe do a second book uh, about uh, prolongation or um, about what maybe co like about um like a, a next part about what you've learned or more things about data engineering or maybe another field you talk about cybersecurity before and how to relate systems and protect them uh, i understood that in the data engineering book uh, you enunciate things so but would you consider writing again a book or was it a one-time thing no i'm writing one right now um it's on data modeling so i'm actually actively in the middle of it right now um I mean, I think this book's going to be harder in, in a lot of ways than, than Fundamentals of Data Engineering, which I think was a very difficult book mm. uh, by Are all accounts to write. It? No, no, I'm doing this one by myself. By yourself, <laughs> so, so, yeah. <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> and uh, yeah. so data modeling, because uh, I wanted to ask you about, so we, we understand now better um, your background, who you are, um, um, and, uh, and it's super uh, inspiring to see how many things can be done through your years and like, being able to manage between all those things that um, animate you um, and that are not only like tech things. Um, so what are you working on today? So you shared that you were writing a book about data modeling. Mm -hmm. Do you have more things uh, that you are doing today and, and what are your goals? Can you share a bit uh, about uh, what are you trying to achieve today? I mean, the book is really the big focus right now. I mean, I, I think, and. Um, so I also have a Substack that I'm writing articles for that just started a few weeks ago. So, um, yeah. What are the, sorry, what are the articles about? I mean, they're just kind of my rants on on data or business or tech, right? So there's not not really any rhyme or reason to it. It's not like some people have Substacks and they're all about you know just very specific themes. Mine's just kind yeah. of my thoughts on the industry, and mm -hmm. and that's fine. A lot of people ask questions, so I figure I'll just put it in article form and you know, podcast mm. form and do that. Um, yeah, we also have a course on data engineering that we'll be working on as well. So, uh, me and Matt are working on that. So that'll be good to, to work on and get out. Um, but yeah, I mean, my, my time right now is just spent, I mean, we're kind of divesting of a lot of the, uh, consulting and services returnary. Um, so I'm glad to do that. We'll still consult, like, I think certain types of customers if we, if we feel it's a good fit, but, um, I, I just feel like we're just at a different stage, um, you know, mm. in our careers and our business where. The things we used to do, we, you know, it, it doesn't, it doesn't serve the purpose as much anymore. So, you know, and there's plenty of other, um, you know, friends and, and companies that, you know, I would say are great and amazing at, at doing the things that we don't want to do anymore. And so we're, you know, we're happy to, you know, share the pie and, you know, and, and focus on what we really want to be doing right now. So. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Great. Uh, so that covers a little bit the background and, and what you're doing today. Um, so I would like to, to ask maybe a bit more. So you've been around. So I understand that during the process of, of writing the book about the fundamentals of data engineering. So you need a lot of expertise from your past careers. Uh, but uh, I would assume that you also shared um, with a lot of data engineers to to check terms or or how are you approaching writing like did you use a, a lot of data engineering's feedback on what you were writing or did you write and then share with the publishers that were reviewing the content how did it work um can you rephrase that a bit it's kind of a yes i'm sorry yeah, maybe i, I didn't explain myself <laughs> well uh, so how did you because i would like to ask you about today <clears throat> 
what is the great like how to be a great data uh, data engineer like how to be on top of the market and and being in advance uh so could you could you maybe give uh, insights on that it's a tricky question because it's a tricky answer i mean I, i would think that as a data engineer and this goes for data scientists too right i mean a good data scientist i think is the one who's um i think one having a lot of fun and two just you know i, I think um adding a lot of value to whatever it is that they're doing um You know, it's sort of the intersection of stuff. You could be adding a lot of value, but be miserable. And you could be really happy, but be adding no value. And so I, I think that it's the mm-hmm. intersection of those two that really makes a great, um, well, that's just what makes a great professional in general, really, no matter what your career. I mean, you, you could be working at a, you know, a, a grocery store. I think if you're having a lot of fun doing that and you're adding a lot of value, then, you know, you're probably one of the best grocery store people that, in the world. And I think that's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, same with data. Um, you know, staying on top of the field is, is an interesting one. I, I would say... My advice to people who want to stay on top of the field in, in data, whether it's analytics, engineering, or, or data science, or whatever, is um, I would say spend 70% of your time focused on fundamentals, maybe more. Really understand like the, you know, what, what underpins um, you know, technologies and practices, right? Learn how databases work, for example. Like, that's a really good thing to start with, right? Learn how distributed systems work. Or learn, just learn the guts of how things work. I think once you have the building block blocks for you know kind of at an atomic level, it's easier to build up from there. Um, if you're focused just on, like, I think, at a, a, you know, superficially on chasing new technologies, but you really don't have the context of, of you know sort of the uh, underlying um, you know fundamentals and principles, um, you're just you're just going to be lost, right? Like you won't have the context. You'll just know how things relate to, from tool A to tool B, but you really won't know why these are similar or different from each other, right? Mm-hmm. And so. You know, study the history of the field, too. I mean, there's a lot of history. It's not like any, any of what we're doing is new for the most part. I mean, there's obviously new, new stuff that comes out um, all the time, but a lot of it's built on, you know, um, old stuff. You know, for, for my new book, for example, for data modeling, like I'm going back to even, you know, a lot of old papers from 1940s and 50s and 60s and 70s and so forth. Wow. A lot of these are relevant, right? Um, you, know, um, you know, read Claude Shannon's book, Uh, you know, 50-page paper on uh, uh, the mathematics of information. Like, that, that's where in 1948, and, like, one of the, you know, the seminal, uh, uh, like, he described information theory, like bits and bytes, you know, and, um, you know, th- these are the things that undercut the entire industry still. These are things that it's all built on, hmm. right? If for data engineering, like, read, uh, you know, Ted Codd's papers from 1968, 1970 about the relational database model. Like mm. relational model really it's not really tied to the database which is why why did that come about you know um mm. you know study you know kimball if you're doing data modeling we're talking about data modeling stuff now that i'm focused on but it, it's relevant but you know if you're an analyst or an analytics engineer you know um, data warehouse has modeling techniques already for data like understand what they are i think once you understand the 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 history then you can understand where it's applicable all too often what i hear now from data engineers analytics engineers, data science, well, the old stuff doesn't apply. I'm like, well, how well do you know the old stuff first, mm. right? Um, I think it would be a kind of a baseless claim to say that things don't apply when you don't understand them. Mm. So, but if you understand things, I think then you can make a judgment call. But until you understand things, you, know, you, should, you should politely maybe shut up and go learn history and mm. <laughs> the, the underlying theories and fundamentals. Um, so... Mm. Yeah, that's that's something um, through this podcast. That's that's one thing that uh, I hear a lot. It's like understand the concepts, 
like get back to the concepts and take time to even if it's two weeks six months understand the concepts and then you will be able to understand and wherever the the, the projects are being used today are going and if we need to use new projects tomorrow once we have the concepts there will be no problem to replicate what we want to to achieve the only yeah. things that is going on today is just better projects and more things that are automated and more intelligent tools in the For majority sure. i think th to add to this too and i think that's a great point um you know understand how processes work in general right to so take a step back and understand okay so how if you're able to map out processes and you're able to map out like how processes uh, pertain to organizations, especially, this is a superpower. I, I think as engineers, for example, or as data scientists, we, we, we want to focus on the technology and the, you know, all the, um, you know, the, the quote fun stuff, but the, the, the things that really, uh, I would say will help your career and also help your projects that you're working on is, okay, so how does it, um, relate to what's going on in the, in the organization itself? Right. So mm -hmm. if I have to work with different teams, um, what are the barriers to that? What are their workflows? What are mine? And how do these relate? So I'd say, yeah. you know, study things like uh, there's a really good book called Team Topologies that basically takes what's called Conway's Law, um, you know, and applies that to um, software teams. I actually thinking about another um, article, series of articles on Conway's Law for data teams and so forth. I think that's, but mm -hmm. Conway's Law basically describes that, you know, you, a, a, you know, you're going to design systems according to the way that you communicate. It's a fundamental rule that um, I think once you understand this, then it, then it basically makes your life a lot easier in some ways and harder in others. Um, but, you know, lean is another thing I, I hit on a lot. So lean uh, is a practice of, um, you know, removing waste and, um, you know, driving out efficiencies and increasing productivity in, in systems and, and processes. And I think that's the thing that everyone should study because that's that sort of underpins like, you know, DevOps, Agile, like, uh, data, you know, anything ops related basically is just, you know, trying to, you know, improve time to value. And that's essentially what lean is. So I think it's, again, these are not new concepts. These have been around for a long time. Conway, I think, wrote his paper in what, 1965 or something like that. Uh, mm. These aren't new ideas, um, but they'll save you from having to reinvent the wheel. Because um, mm. I think the organizational part and the process part, understanding how systems work, that that's fundamentally infinitely harder, in my opinion, than, than understanding how even data engineering or data science works. Like, so you're dealing with people, which is just a much different, um, you know, different ball game. So, mm. yeah, yeah, it makes sense. It also made me think of um, it's quite related. But um, uh, at the beginning, we we talked about um, how you very early in your career uh, did data science with a business purpose. Yeah, and so regarding that. Uh, I am myself today. I try to to build web applications uh, with a with a business value, like nice. build data projects. Um, there are like key projects that we use today, but mainly uh, the, the thing is like how to enhance data, or what kind of problem is out there that we can solve through data, or how could we collect this data to give this specific, like even like build some things that get um, different projects that already exist, but yeah. all together, it's a whole new project because then it, it, it helps. So so my question is, um, what did you learn from building data projects with a business per perspective? How to not get lost through the process? I mean, you got to talk to stakeholders, really, and understand what they need, right? Um, it's sort of like when, I, when we talked about data engineering and, and data science, right? Like where, you, you know, 
I was able to understand what I needed because I'd done the job, right? I think you need to put yourself in the stakeholder shoes. The person, you know, there's a, there's a notion of a customer, right, in any business, right? So mm. the person that you're you're serving really is your customer, uh, mm. and so you, you need to make sure that. And, and value is really an interesting word. Value value is something that's ultimately determined by the customer and what they want. Your job is to provide them, you know, that value through the form of producing something of value. And so, uh, you know, just, um, you know, I would say just it's really simple just communicate with people and, and understand what they want and make sure you're delivering that that's that's um mm. you know and, and i think the other thing when you're when you're working on a job the, the number one thing you can do is is understand how the company makes money like what is it that the company does um and how do they get paid for it which means that's how you get paid for it and so as long as you can move the needle in directions that support that, mm. that that's another thing i would say that especially right now with the economy globally kind of where it is which is not great um uh, you know, every, every company is going to be looking at, uh, you know, their team and assessing, okay, so, um, you know, what's this person doing to, you know, you know push us uh, you know, towards success, uh, you mm-hmm. know, especially in times of uh, constraints and, and so forth. So, yeah, mm. maybe, but the answer to your question is that simple and, and that hard, right? Um, you know, oftentimes what you, what you might find is, uh, your stakeholder really doesn't know what they want, or maybe it's not directly. Maybe what they want is not directly tied to the value that the co- company wants. And so you really need to, I think, look at it from both angles. Where it's if you understand, okay, the company makes money this way. Um, this is you know, this you know, it's the mission of the company and so forth, and really tie that back to okay, so like the stakeholder wants this. Are these the same things, or are these different? Or am I am I satisfying the stakeholder because this is something that they personally want to do to advance their career, or is this aligned with what the company overall wants to do and, and the progression of the company mm. itself, um, you know, is aligned towards. And so, you know, I think you always need to take a step back and make sure that that's also the case. Cause, uh, cause you might end up in a dead end, right. Where if, if you're satisfying the needs of a stakeholder, but that stakeholder has some sort of agenda, um, which is common, it does happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, at that point, I think you just, you need to, um, you know, figure that out. So, mm. I feel like this is a, a huge key underlying concept about uh, how to like success kind of uh, mm-hmm. kind of way like the understand the why we were speaking at the beginning on a personal level like yeah what is your why but then in your company understanding the why of your managers the why of uh, the entire company which is the vision basically and enhance this on a daily basis and being able to say no to the things that doesn't match to the why of myself and the company and my long-term goals. I feel that this is a great framework to move yourself into what is good for you and what, what you should be doing. Like trying to figure out one day after another the why of the things and plan the journey based on does it match the whys? Yes, I will pursue this. How do you feel about this concept? Maybe you would like to, to add something to, to this vision of why? <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, it, it's, it's definitely, you know, in, in, in anyone's career, this is the, the fundamental thing you need to be able to answer really is like, you know, um, you know, why? And, 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 and actually in, in lean, there's a notion of a uh, five whys. Hmm. So in order to get to the root cause of something, you ask why five times or some number like that until you can get to the root cause. Um, it's something you should practice in your own life too. Like, you know, there's, there's your why, but then there's the, um, why do you have your why and, and mm. variations of that? You know? and, <laughs> and so, 
you know, but it's a very introspective exercise, but I think people should do this. Um, mm. you know, you need to understand like why, um, what's the why behind the why, mm. you know, uh, both for your own personal goals and, and also, you know, when, when you're um, trying to do something at work, right? Like what, okay. So like, why are we doing this? And then, you know, keep digging into that. Cause there's, there's always a reason that's not usually, well, I wouldn't say there's always, but um, oftentimes what you'll find is there, there's, there's a reason that is not obvious, or there's another reason why something is happening, hmm. you know, especially as data scientists, um, you know, people just in our profession, it's like, you know, we're, we're a service function at the end of the day. We're here to hmm. serve, um, you know, the, uh, you know, the business where, you know, we facilitate things, but it's not like, uh, and some people say, oh, data should be driving the business. I'm like, I, I, to some extent, if the business is set up for, for data people to do that, then maybe that's acceptable way of doing it. I've not really ever seen that happen. So, um, so normally you need to understand, okay, it's like, why is it that you're doing what you're doing, you know, and then what's the outcome of it? What's, what's the expectation? Um, mm. you know, who's asking the question and why are they asking this? Um, so it's, it's, uh, but the, it, it, it always, it's every, every answer is going to be unique. There's not a, there's not a single answer to this. And so, mm-hmm. so. and in a way it's kind of, uh, capturing the, engineering of the whys, like the big picture of where does this why come from because this person want this and this is related to this topic and with all the with the clear vision of all the whys it is way easier to to move into into this whys and this is a yep. very why oriented discussion yeah <laughs> but uh i feel like i hope uh, i hope i hope it's not too abstract uh, for me it's not well, but uh it but, might uh, be but oh well <laughs> Sorry if it's too abstract. Well, but, uh, let's these know. are the important things you need to realize, though, too. I mean, if you want to, if you want, I mean, the thing is with data, especially and, and just careers in general, it's like, I think everyone wants a concrete answer to stuff. And here's the deal. It's like in my career, I've never seen anything like there's no such thing as a concrete answer to almost any, anything that's worth talking about. Mm. Right. There's concrete answers to questions that are really simple to answer. Like, mm. hey, what's, you know, what's the weather like today? That's, that's a concrete answer. Right. Mm. Um, you know. You know, what does the future look like in five years from now? Yeah, that that's not a concrete answer, mm. right? And, and it will never be a concrete. Anyone who tells you there's a concrete answer to this is lying to you, um, either accidentally or on purpose. And if they're doing it on purpose, you should be very scared. So, um, you know, people that people that say that there's concrete answers to everything, I, I tend to you know immediately, um, you know, look at them, uh, you know, a bit skeptically and, and understand like what's their motivation for saying this. So yeah, I understand. It's like, for example, the example you shared before, uh, values and stakeholders. Like I want to build a data project to get back on, on my data project. Uh, and I talked to the stakeholders because I followed your advice. But I'm pretty sure that the stakeholders haven't yet realized what they need. And so my job, more than being able to identify, uh, like build everything and the solution is understand enough of what they're going to tell me and their pain point to know where is the most value and where can I add really value because they have no idea of what I can do most of the time. How do right. you feel regarding understanding pain points of stakeholders and then decide to build a data product around one of those pain points? I mean, it's absolutely necessary. You have to understand the pain points. I think you got to understand that they also, the thing you got to really understand is whether they also understand what they're um, asking for, I think, to your question. Um, mm. um, I mean, I, I've, I've seen this often where, where people will make requests and then you'll ask them, well, what, you know, you kind of dig into it. And you're like, well, you, you know, maybe, 
you haven't really thought this through that much, um, you know, or your or your your incentive for doing this is not really quite what I thought it was. It's it's different, and so I think you just need to understand that. And, and the other thing too is when you when you when you find some hesitation or maybe some some lack of clarity on on a project, you know, that the person may not understand it or may have an, a, another motive. I mean, um, I hate to say it, but you also need to think, okay, so like, what happens if this doesn't work? What's my alternative? Like, hmm. do I need to go work on another project or another team? Or, um, I mean, this is just reality. I've seen this happen countless times where people, you know, people working on data projects or data products and didn't work out, right? Um, now you have to go do something else. And, and why it doesn't work out is, is commonly because it wasn't really well thought out or, or um, you know, or, or I think didn't have the support of, of uh, you know, other stakeholders, hmm. right? And Does so that ever happen to you? like working on something for some time and then you had to move on and you weren't quite happy with what you built? Oh, all the time. Yeah, all the time. I would say in consulting, this is this is kind of par for the course. It's one reason mm. I'm kind of tired of doing it. And, you know, it's, we're a bit more selective about it. Just in a lot of cases, you know, you, you give uh, companies advice and they, they might work on it. And, you know, that, that's great if they do. And in other cases, you give people, you know, advice and, um, you know, they don't do anything with it. And, it's just the reality of it, right? That's it's no different than if you're a therapist and you give people advice, and sometimes they, you know, do things to change their life for the better, and other times they don't do anything with it, and they're 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 back to where they were. They, you know, they never changed, and that's it's just that's reality. Changes, change is just a very difficult thing. You know, mm. it's and you can't really force it, um, mm. no matter what you do, because there's so many factors at play. Yeah, you know, it's a very dynamic system. You're one. You're one. You're one, uh, you know, variable in, in, a, in a sea of many variables, typically. And it's like, that's, you know, so I, I've just learned, you know, to, to basically just don't get emotionally attached to, to outcomes that you can't control. Uh, that's the bottom line. Just if you can't control it, or even if you can control it, there's just things that do happen once in a while, too. So just, I mean, just try and, like, you know, be very um, stoic <laughs> about uh, outcomes. I think it's a very, uh, it's a very healthy approach to life. So. Mm, mm. Yeah, and I feel that's a that's a dangerous zone because sometimes we get very we can get very caught up in what we're doing, the work, and feeling like very kind of passionate about it because we dedicate a, a lot of time, and the output of this can affect a lot of us. And you were sharing about uh, um, doing um, um, how is it called bouldering? Yeah, it? yeah, bold, yeah, bouldering, yeah bouldering or, or spending time with the family or with friends or doing music and i feel like uh, not not getting lost in being only focused in achieving things through works uh, can help uh, manage the, this emotional impact that it can have um, on the on the on the output uh, what yeah. is your what do you, how do you how do you deal with this how do you deal with uh, not getting attached to like? I mean, it's hard. I mean, I'm, I'm like the consummate workaholic, so it's like I, I I used to get emotionally attached to a lot of things that I would identify as work and identify as myself, and the things would be inseparable. But I I realized that it's just a very unhealthy uh, way of of living. And so, mm. you know, I mean, still though, my work is is me and my and my work. But I guess I I just take a much um, I think more uh, long term and maybe relaxed view of things where. You know, it, it is what it is. Uh, mm. Maybe borrowing some, um, you know, uh, views from Buddhism or something, but it's just like, um, you know, it, it's 
I don't know. You know, it's just, you know, you, you focus on the process and, uh, you know, sort of the, the journey of, of getting there, not so much on the outcomes. And I think it's just a much uh, easier way of, of um, you know, approaching your work. And if you get too attached to outcomes and they don't happen, then, you, then you're mm. bound to be sorely disappointed. And, um, you know, Lord knows I've had enough disappointment in, in my career. And, um, yeah, well, you know, and the thing is, you know, if you just take a different, different perspective of things that, then it's not a disappointment because you, you weren't so much attached to the outcome, but, but then, you know, you got, you got to balance that because some people might perceive that as just being lazy. So, you know, and, but, uh, um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. You just got to find that balance, I guess, right. Where you, you, know, you do, you carry your stuff to do it or you're, you're passionate about it, but, um, you're not going to get so caught up if things go wrong, you know, because mm. they will, mm. you know, and it's just the inevitability mm. of it. So. All right. Thanks for sharing all these tips. I have maybe one last question before asking you the three little questions that we have at the end of the podcast. Um, what is your vision? So now you're writing a book about data modeling. Uh, what is your vision regarding uh, the future of data engineering, data modeling, and how do you see this field uh, evolve and maybe some insights of uh, how it is going to impact AI and the possibilities? Do you have a point of view on that? Um, I think data, data modeling is, I think, something that will be um, probably around more long-term than data engineering even, which might be a bit surprising for me to say. But, mm. um, you know, just the, the art of, like, modeling data so it represents, um, you know, the reality you're trying to describe is something that I don't think goes away, whether, you know, regardless of AI or, or anything, you know, data needs to be input into something or, you know, mm -hmm. so, you know, it's just... It is what it is. Um, and data engineering is one of these things where I feel like that, you know, there's, and I wrote about this in the last chapter of the book. I feel like the title is, is like any title in technology where it's, it could be transient, you know, um, maybe data engineering does go away. Hmm. That's how it is. I, I, you know, again, I'm not emotionally attached to it. It's, I didn't come up with the term and, you know, and, uh, you know, I did write a book on it, but, um, you know, I also have to call it fundamentals of whatever the new title is, I suppose. And uh, that's how it is. But, you know, I mean, things are changing fast. Uh, you know, machine learning, I think the, what, what's going to drive this really is the intersection of software engineering, uh, data engineering and um, data science and machine learning and, you know, and so forth. Right. I think the, the feedback loop between all these things is, is going to become a lot shorter and a lot tighter. And so, you know, I, I, I think uh, very curious to see. I don't, I don't know what happens, but I mean, these are the macro trends that I do see happening. So. Mm. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thanks a lot for all your your insights yeah. and sharing about uh, everything. So I have three little questions uh, for you to, to answer um, uh, in the end. Uh, the first one is, um, and we've talked a bit about, um, about it when you were sharing about you get things done in the morning, you read, you exercise, but how do you today improve uh, yourself? Uh, I understand that you read a lot. Is there more things to it? No, I mean, it's, it's just simple. I think just, just trying to learn something new every day and, you know, incorporate that into your life. I mean, just stay healthy and that's about it, really. Um, I mean, just live to fight another day and just keep improving. It's, it's no magic to it. <laughs> so, <laughs> All right. The second is um, if anyone that listens to us right now would like to connect with you or see more of your work, uh, where can we contact you or where can we see more of your informations? Uh, your podcast, the notes that you take on a daily basis. Yeah, I'm uh, on LinkedIn predominantly, so you can just find me there. Uh, Joe Reese, go look me up. Um, 
the Substack is Joe Reese at Substack.com. Uh, those are probably the two places to find me. I'm not on other, other social media. I have like an account on Mastodon, uh, but I rarely really check it. I'm again not on any other social media. So hmm. awesome. And last but not least, um, do you have any message uh, for 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 the ones that are listening or, or more in general regarding the field, the career, what we've talked in this episode? Uh, it can be basically anything, but do you have any message to share? I mean, just, just focus on what's going to make you happy, you know, play the long game, you know, um, you know, just, uh, you, you know, hopefully you'll be around for a while and, you know, just, just do things that are, um, you know, going to positively impact your, your ability to, to continue being around for, for a long time. I think everything else will fall into place from there. So. Awesome. Thanks cool. for this message. Yeah. Well, Joe, this is the end of the episode. I want to thank you a lot for coming on the podcast. It has been a pleasure to have you and uh, I wish to, to talk to you soon. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. Yeah, great time talking with you. Bye. Thanks. Same. Congrats, you've made it to the end. I hope you had a great time and that you learned a few things. To learn more about AI, you can subscribe to my newsletter or check the blog. And to support the podcast, you can give us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also share it with two friends, colleagues, or family members that might be interested. I wish you to have a wonderful day. Bye.